Welcome to Grand Central Radio, the grandparents' community platform. I'm your host, Jerry Cole. This is a talk, listen, and act show for grandparents and future grandparents everywhere. My adult child, that child's spouse and in-laws, and my two young grandchildren give me lots of questions and concerns. Like you, I want to be as effective for my grandkids and their parents as possible. To achieve these goals, I also want to stay physically and mentally fit and have fun. We can help each other by sharing our challenges and ideas about grandparenting and our lives as grandparents. You can replay our shows, find stories and songs to hear or read aloud, lists including the Ultimate Grandparents Emergency Babysitting Checklist and Sitter's Memorandum Form, and a list of movies about grandparents' relationships, and other materials curated especially for grandparents. And you can contact me, Jerry Cole, on our secure website, GrandCentralRadio.com, or at Jerry.Cole at GrandCentralRadio.com. And if you would like to participate in the recording of one or more of our future podcast episodes, or if you suggest a possible sponsor of our shows or website, please email our show's producer at info at GrandCentralRadio.com. Whatever our personal views and the views of our family members, colleagues, and friends about global warming and climate change, we frequently encounter those issues in conversations with them. Our grandchildren discuss them in school and with their family members and friends. And in any event, we want to reassure and comfort our grandchildren and prepare them for their future. We're discussing today talking with grandchildren about climate change with our special guest, Katie Ginsberg, founder in 2003 and recently retired executive director of and continuing advisor to the Children's Environmental Literacy Foundation, CELF or SELF, a not-for-profit organization fostering education of young people about the links between human health, consumption, conflict, equity, and the environment. SELF works with education and environmental thought leaders from around the world to bring best practices in education for sustainability to K-12 through public and independent schools through whole school change, train-the-trainer programs, and a disruptive model of project and place-based learning. SELF earned the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, Region 2 Environmental Champion Award. Katie established a partnership between SELF and Mount Sinai Pediatric Environmental Health Specialty Unit to develop SELF's Civic Science Inquiry to Action Program in New York City, Lower Hudson Valley, Los Angeles, and Houston Schools. The program includes an interactive virtual student symposium. Students prepare data-driven air quality, water, and environmental justice action plans and present them to peers, field experts, and decision makers. SELF's annual summer institutes are immersive programs for K-12 teachers about sustainability. And SELF's Green Careers Program introduces sustainability field experts, including meteorologists, marine scientists, and authorities in renewable energy to virtual classrooms across Texas. You will hear on this podcast 
Katie's personal view on this topic. Those views do not constitute the views of any of self or her publishers, sponsors, syndicators, or affiliates, or any legal, medical, mental health, or other advice by her, me, or Grand Central Radio. We urge all listeners to discuss with their legal, health, including mental health, and other advisors and counselors their particular concerns and difficulties that may require professional intervention. Katie, thank you for joining us on Grand Central Radio. Thank you, Jerry. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Katie, after growing up in Minnesota as the daughter of a piano teacher and attaining a BA in psychology from Northwestern University, when, where, and why did you discover your interest in developing educational programs for children and their teachers about sustainability and climate change? I would love to share that answer, but just one one quick correction, Jerry, if you don't mind. I my grandparents lived in Minneapolis, and that's oh. the town my mother, who was the piano teacher, grew up in. And I visited every summer and have the most fond memories that actually connect to the work that I do today. I, in fact, grew up in Evanston, Illinois. My father was a professor at Northwestern University, and so that too was formative and my love and passion for nature. Um, Evanston is not a um, is not a small suburb. It's actually quite large and, and quite urban. We had a city bus running down the street that my house was on and across the street was an elementary school and a one square block forest preserve. And um, I'll talk a little bit more later in, in our conversation about how that forest preserve contributed to a lifelong a deep memory and, and deep passion for that almost Narnia-like experience that my sister and neighborhood friends had um, spending, spending many hours in this local, very small, but very beautiful forest preserve. So um, from from there, Jerry, yes, I would love to share um, a little bit of a pivotal moment in my um, early parenting days. I'm a parent of three grown children. Uh, they're now 29, 27, and 23 years old. And when my 29-year-old was in fourth grade, he came home from school on Earth Day, and he was so jazzed about the experience he had in school on that day because they had an unusual uh, program, and they were all given a tremendous opportunity and responsibility with an assignment to become detectives, specifically environmental detectives of the school he was attending to explore the different parts of the building and look for what they had learned only a little bit about, um, but later more, um, in terms of places where there was waste and understanding the concept of waste as being something more than just what is thrown in a garbage can, but things like leaking faucets or energy ghosts, which are computers that are plugged in but turned off, um, or 
computers that could be in sleep mode but were you know fully on. Um, they were tasked with this pursuit of exploring their school inside and out. They had learned in one of their units about invasive species. So while they were trekking through the back of the school and exploring the grounds, they they could identify from their unit on invasive species what, where these uh, plants existed on their school grounds. They were identifying trees and other shrubs that were contributing to the health and well-being of their school grounds. And he came home and quickly became our household environmental police. <laughs> and he was adamant that we could do better in our own household. And uh, for the subsequent couple of weeks, he was just absolutely, in, you know, on fire and in charge of making sure that the rest of the household was turning lights off and turning faucets off when we were brushing our teeth and making sure that, you know, recycling was being sorted properly. And we were thinking about what kinds of foods we were eating and where the waste was going. And it was a big topic of conversation, but it was also very short lived because what I came to learn was that at that time, and this is now, you know, over a decade ago, many, many schools were addressing sustainability and conservation. And at that time, only the nascent beginnings of climate change conversation once a year on Earth Day. And perhaps with a sprinkling of other special assemblies that address things like endangered species, a couple of after-school programs, but nothing that was fully integrated in a systemic way where students were exploring these topics on a regular and much more interdisciplinary basis. So that was the first aha moment for me, was thinking about where might there be an example of a school or district where topics that they addressed on this transformative day actually are the frame of education for all learning from kindergarten through 12th grade. And that set me on a year-long expedition of research, uh, not only with schools in our own country, but schools and education systems abroad. Um, and I learned about a field that we now know and call education for sustainability, or elsewhere in the world, it's education for sustainable development. And I'll just pause there for a moment. Well, I think you've highlighted the importance of children in this discussion. I think we've all felt instinctively that children have among the biggest, most uh, passionate interests in the concern. It is, after all, their future. And they have a very important voice in our families in affecting how we behave as adults and as grandparents. Uh, you experienced that with your son, and he actually was, as you mentioned, the spearhead 
if you will, for your thinking about the importance of having a dialogue with young children and and growing children and adolescents and getting them involved in the discussion and making them feel that they're active. Uh, now, you completed the Yale Sustainability Leadership Certificate Program in 2017, and I, I we've heard that you've engaged in extensive research uh, on this topic of educating children about climate change and sustainability. What have you found in your work in this field are the challenges to teachers, parents, and grandparents in talking about climate change with children uh, from the very earliest ages, toddlers are first learning to speak through high school and even college about which self-participants inquire and how do those challenges vary depending upon the ages of the children? That's a great question, Jerry. And I think it's coming up more and more frequently as the effects of climate change are being felt more and more um, dramatically and with more frequency. So I, what we have experienced, um, particularly in um, the schools where we work and with the teachers um, who are really our, our primary um, audience, is that many adults, including teachers, are truly hesitant in discussing climate change with kids because of feelings of guilt or could be confusion about the content and facts around the topic um, and ultimately fear. Um, you know, I, it's understandable that we don't necessarily want to talk about imminent doom or huge storms, wildfires sweeping through our towns. It's frightening and it's easy to become overwhelmed pretty quickly so I think it's important, and I, and we talk a lot about this with, with teachers, um, again, who are our primary audience, to really monitor ourselves and to be very aware of how children are reacting uh, to this information and to try to take in the information in almost microdoses because it can become overwhelming. The other thing that we've experience directly is that it's important for older children who are, you know, developmentally ready to be able to take some kind of action. Um, once you are, and this is true with really any fear or anxiety, right? When we are able to feel like we are doing something to contribute to a solution that diminishes the anxiety immediately. And so for older kids, it's often getting involved in some of the programs that I know we'll talk about in this podcast where, where children and students can be part of solutions that their communities are working on with adults, with other children, with experts, um, or really, or on their own, um, in in different ways. Like my son was was in his own way taking action, and you know, feeling like he was he was making a contribution. So I think you know when adults are fearful that of alarming children or saying the wrong things if they have if they're experiencing you know big feelings, it's important that we talk about climate change with other adults before we talk about it with our grandchildren or our children. Um, I think it's really the first step towards helping our, our grandkids or our children cope with this somewhat existential threat. Um, so finding ways for our 
own knowledge to expand is a, is a great first step towards, you know, feeling more comfortable talking about this very complex issue with grandchildren. Uh, Katie, how do you suggest, you've, you've already given us some hints in this regard, but how do you suggest that grandparents discuss climate change with their grandchildren, aside from breaking them into the topic slowly, obviously adjusting to their ages and their ability to accept what's going on without excessive fear, but with a sense of some control or some uh, autonomy in dealing with it. What projects can grandparents engage in with their children as grandparents, uh, considering the ages of the grandchildren, and also considering the viewpoints of their parents about climate change, which can be very divergent? Uh, And how do these discussions and projects vary depending upon where and with whom the grandchildren live? Such great questions. Thank you, Jerry. Um, When we think about age-appropriate climate change conversation, we actually kind of take climate change conversation out of that question entirely for the age group of, say, zero to seven years old. That's the age when the most important thing we can do together with our grandchildren is simply to experience the wonders of the natural world. And that can be done anywhere, whether you're in a suburb, a city, a rural area. It is easy to find anything growing anywhere, um, finding insects anywhere, um, finding birds anywhere, and helping kids just have the opportunity to explore in their own ways, their connection to the wonders of nature. So things like, you know, um, using our five senses and inviting your grandchildren to close their eyes, to feel what's around them, whether it's wind, using their, their hearing to listen to birds, to listen to water, to listen to what's around them, and just play in nature. This is where I come back to the experience I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation of growing up across the street from a forest preserve. Now, it doesn't have to be a forest preserve. It can be a backyard or it can be a stream that's, you know, in in walking distance from wherever you are. But just to be with your grandchild and doing something that is fun and wondrous in nature is primarily the most important thing that we can do for establishing a love and compassion for nature of which we are a part and not separate from. Um, so, so I would respond to your question first with that, is that, you know, really supporting the love of nature is first and foremost in what we can give our children and our grandchildren. So cultivating a passion. Um, secondly, I, particularly for grandparents who have experienced many more years than parents or their grandchildren, it's really important to connect the past to the present. And of course, we'll talk about the future, but the past to the present is sharing stories about what you did as a child outside. You know, what did you do with your time 
and enjoy some of the same things. It could be um, playing jacks on the sidewalk with, with your grandchild. It could be bouncing a ball in a game that you played as a child and talking about how, how the generations past would spend time in the outdoors. That's really helpful, I think, for kids to hear their grandparents talk about what their lives as children were like, and particularly in this case, you know, what they loved about the natural world and what they did in it um, as, as kids. And then the next thing I would say is to start talking and exploring, uh, talking about and exploring the connections of nature and do things like look at tree roots together talk about where those roots are coming from and what service they provide to the tree, to the soil, to the animals that live in the tree, that take nectar from the tree, um, the oxygen that comes from the tree that we breathe in, that the animals breathe in. I find trees are often the one of the easier um, topics to understand without having any deep knowledge or you know full recollection of what we might have learned in the science class at some point. Um, I think there's pretty general knowledge about the role that trees play in our lives and and kids love trees right a lot of them will want to climb trees um and if nothing else they can appreciate the shade they provide on a hot day um or the beauty they provide when they're covered with snow depending on where you live so i've seen teachers use trees as as a place to bring their students sit beneath it talk about these things uh, that the tree connects to and include yourself in that conversation. So they understand, so our kids understand that we too are part of this interconnected, amazing, amazing world. That's something that we can talk about when they're in elementary school and in middle school. And then the big conversation that maybe you were alluding to about, you know, this conversation about climate change, um, there's a lot of different ways that, that we can talk about it. But um, one that I found particularly clear and straightforward and not, um, not diminishing or skirting around facts, but factual without perhaps being overwhelming, uh, comes from the NPR Life Kit podcast. And if it's okay with you, I'm just, I, I'd like to quote um, this very brief script that was shared through the NPR Life Kit. Sure, of course. Would that be okay? All right. Yes, thank because you. I, I am not the expert, so I am going to quote <laughs> an expert um, who shared this. So one, one script is humans are burning lots and lots of fossil fuels for energy, for our planes, our cars, to light our houses, and that's putting greenhouse gases into the air. Those gases wrap around the planet like a blanket and make everything hotter. A hotter planet means bigger storms, and it means 
Ice melts at the poles, so oceans will rise. It makes it harder for animals to find places to live. And it's a big problem. And there are a lot of smart people working hard on it. And there's also a lot of things that we can do as a family to help. Period. (laughs) And then you can engage um, in a conversation about what some of those things could be. And depending on the age of your grandchild, they may already have a lot of ideas, depending on, um, you know, how their school may or may not address the topic, um, depending on what they may or may not already know from friends and other adults. And then that's the door that becomes open to all kinds of fun activities um, that are also productive activities addressing climate change. So um, I think that's where, you know, adults can help address the fact, you know, that this is something we are experiencing um, without going deep into the science, um, because there are plenty of resources for that. Um, And then shift into this way of providing hope through action. That's when things get really exciting, Jerry. That's when you can start doing things like composting and gardening and, um, you know, doing, doing things with your grandchildren that are pleasurable for both of you. <laughs> yes, and those are activities that can involve older children too. Do you have some specific examples for us of suggestions that we could make, for, let's say, to our middle school or our high school or possibly college age grandchildren who may be hearing about some of these opportunities in their uh, school and other activities, but who might need some encouragement to get involved with them and know that they get some support from their grandparents, whether or not their parents do. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, one of, uh, as you both know, uh, um, (laughs) I think one of the most powerful tools that kids use on a regular basis is their smart technology. And through that, there are so many groups that one can find um, sustainability groups, youth action groups, uh, the climate, climate reality project is one that, um, is primarily adults, but they do have a youth program that is global. Um, so if a grandchild expresses interest in, you know, doing something more than what opportunities have been presented to date, it's a great thing to begin exploring some of these existing, um, you know, sort of, uh, advocacy groups that are ways of connecting kids with other kids like-minded. Um, if they're not as interested in, in the topic that you, you would like to try and engage in a conversation, you know, on a deeper level, sometimes it's interesting to explore what, environmentalism or green jobs look like beyond what, you know, we might think of initially, because when you start looking at the breadth of what green jobs are today, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, so just exploring things like green architecture or sustainable engineering or the field of biomimicry or, you know, 
take what your grandchild's interest is and put a frame of sustainability around it. And you will be probably very surprised at how broad, what broad their interest is in connecting to some of these emerging college paths and careers that are addressing climate change through these different, um, you know, different industries and, and, and different ways of engaging in, in society. Have you experienced in developing the programs uh, through self and through your own personal experience with your own children, pushback in certain communities from parents uh, on discussions of climate change in the school system? And if so, have you dealt with that? Yes, um, we have. um, Not not so much in the tri-state area as in the southern states. And it's interesting because what it requires is figuring out how to meet people where they are. And in some cases, changing the vocabulary you use, shifting language from, for example, the word sustainability um, is not something that was readily accepted in some of the schools that we've worked with in other states. And so the line, the conversation necessarily needed to change from conversations about sustainability to conversations about environmental literacy and environmental conservation. And then that opened the door to having much more productive mm-hmm. um, dialogue because it was shifting from a word that in, in some locations and in maybe in some Households, it could be on that level. Um, it's not always so macro, but changing the the word that is to some politically charged to a conversation around well, what are these? What are the things that we need to stay healthy that we want our children to have in the future? Because it basically distills to a very shared understanding of well, we do need clean water. We do want fresh air. We do need food and shelter and these basic things that we want for our grandchildren in the future. And so when we can all come to agreement about those things that we want for our grandchildren in the future, we're able to have much more productive conversations around, well, what are the things that are inhibiting or could be um, prohibiting these things from existing in the future. And, um, and how are the, what are the things that we can do today to create healthier air and cleaner water? And what are the schools doing to help direct that? Um, so yeah, I think it, it is a lot about, about language and vocabulary and coming to agreement with some of these foundational ideas that we can, you know, see as a, as a shared or a common um, way of being. Mm-hmm. Well, where can we find more information about talking with grandchildren and organizing projects with them uh, about environmental literacy and environmental conversations? Well, you won't be surprised that my, my, my first answer to that question is going to be your local library. <laughs> uh-huh. um, because... There's a couple of things about 
libraries that have to do with sustainability. Um, one is obvious. You're not buying, purchasing a new book. You are borrowing a book. So you're saving, um, you're saving paper <laughs> and you're saving money. Um, but it's also introducing your grandchild to what's part of what we refer to as the commons. A lot, a lo- you know, a public library like Fresh Air, Fresh Water is something that everybody can gain from, and that we should support and sustain. So, local libraries, the librarians and resource managers in libraries are some of the most well versed in um, topics of sustainability and climate change, as they have needed to become um, for you know, for many, 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 many communities. Um, so that's, that's the first place to start. And your, your the resource manager can point you in the right direction for, for good books. Another great idea, um, maybe obvious, but is also fun is zoos. Zoos are um, not always thought of in the context of, you know, sort of a larger idea of sustainability. Um, because for Many years, zoos were really not the places that they are today, which are really becoming um, conservation and research um, areas of research, but also places to introduce and, again, build children's passion for the planet and all the living creatures on it. So zoos now have many, many exhibits on climate change and the impact climate change has on habitats around the world and as well as our local habitats. Um, Another place to look for information is your own community, your, uh, your town center often will have a committee. I know I'm sure Scarsdale has, um, as many towns do have sustainability committees that offer programs for both adults and families to get involved in. Many towns have community gardens now and also community art projects that are related to bringing people outdoors and engaging kids, sometimes even in contests of, you know, creating murals that, um, that are things, works of art that, help you appreciate the place that you are in and bring people outside. Uh, there's a wonderful organization, NYC H2O that has a, a high school and middle school student um, competition right now, actually for, for mural creation. And then the other interesting and growing um, area where climate change is becoming more and more of a conversation is that your place of worship. Um, there are many, many places of worship, um, you know, faith-based organizations that are addressing climate change in both the services as well as in, in committees and small groups of people who really care about the topic. And so that could be another really interesting way of engaging your grandchild in the conversation and engaging them in action as connected to your place of worship. So those are just a few ideas. Um, I, you know, the other obvious is um, going to some of the well-known large organizations that work on this topic, like NRDC um, and 
um, Sierra Club. There are a number of, of other, you know, national and international organizations that are have been working on climate change for decades. Um, and then, of course, local universities as well. But I think for for grandchildren, these are some of the fun things that is both um, educational, but also fun. And then I think there has to be a component of play and fun that goes hand in hand with this information and with the action that kids take to address the topic. Um, that's what makes us sustainable. <laughs> um, we, nobody is, nobody is built and designed to, um, to take this on alone. No one is built and designed to feel the weight of this topic on a minute to minute basis. We have to, you know, share, share this, um, project that feels like a very, very overwhelming one with others, um, in order to sustain ourselves. And, um, there, there are just so many, new ways that have come about in the last couple of years for um, older generations and younger generations to come together and, and take action. Katie, thank you so much. You've taken up topic that has been overwhelming for many of us and distilled it down to a digestible set of nuggets that we can actually apply and use in our relationships with our grandchildren and our children in, in trying to feel as though we're uh, involved in this discussion and also involved in possibly leading us to a solution. Our other grandparent guest, Dorothy in Scarsdale, please ask Katie your questions and share your ideas about talking with grandchildren about climate change. What are you thinking, Dorothy? Well, I'm thinking, first of all, thank you, Katie. This has been extremely <clears throat> informative and made me think about a lot of things I haven't thought about before. So thank you. I'm thinking that the topic of um, climate change and sustainability is really very, very appropriate for grandparents as a group to think about because really, you know, climate change and the terrible things that are going to happen to this planet aren't going to happen during our generation for the most part. They're going to happen during our grandchildren's and their grandchildren's gen generation. So this is the perfect way to tie in who we are with, um, with our grandchildren. So that's my first thought. My second thought is, Katie, that my grandson is um, four and, and he lives not far from Evanston down in Hyde Park in Chicago. So he's very um, benefited by being on the lake and, and he's a forager, you know, he goes out with his little basket and collects all sorts of natural things. So I totally relate to that. And thank you. But I guess the big issue that I'm thinking about is that I thought about your son. I'm not sure how old he was on that earth day, but he came back and he started caring about what the house was doing in terms of wasting water and electricity. And that led him to be kind of a, you know, environmental detective. And yet that sort of house focused um, energy can be kind of a distraction, I think, from the bigger issue of um, greenhouse gases and what's going on in the world. And, you know, suddenly the name Greta Thunberg floated to my mind. And I thought, yeah, there's a child who realized 
you know what, you know, monitoring the water in my house is not what I need to do. You know, what I need to do is go to the UN, et cetera, and talk to um, world leaders. So how do you connect up the, um, you know, the specific household, you know, composting and gardening and all that with the huge problem that's worldwide and takes place in enormous, you know, economic engines and countries and that sort of thing? Yes, that's a great, great question. There's a lot of debate and conversation around, you know, does it matter if I do these little things at home? If, you know, I've had this conversation many times. Um, And of course, the answer is every, it all matters, right? I mean, it, it, we didn't get to this place by virtue of um, just a handful of people driving cars. We got to this place by you know, growing population of millions of people driving cars and, and living in homes that are using these um, fuels and an and economy that's built around it. So yes, um, he was nine when he came home from school that day. And so a little bit younger than Greta was probably when she started, um, you know, talking to the UN about the issues and, and really your point is so well taken because it was the fact that the schools stopped talking about it after earth day was over that led me to this idea of, you know, this is, this is insanity that we're thinking that, you know, addressing this topic in this way once a year is going to suffice in preparing our kids for this future that we know is headed their way. Um, and so it, I think that as they get a little bit older, it's really important for parents, grandparents, and schools to support kids in pursuing the bigger picture and enabling them to speak directly to decision makers. Um, there's more and more opportunity, uh, particularly um, in the larger cities like Chicago and New York and LA and Houston, um, where there are schools that offer kids these authentic opportunities to connect with local legislators with mayors um, and share their ideas of what action needs to be taken in their city or in their town or in their country. And it's those authentic and I underscore authentic opportunities that I think are critical for the next generation to have an opportunity to engage in. these kids have ideas that no adult will have because they're coming from a different place, right? They are, they don't have the, um, the habits or the habits of mind and, um, sort of these ideas that we've all grown up with. They have new ones. Um, and that's what I think is so helpful and critical to bring forth are, these non-derivative creative ideas that, that only young people have from the, from their perspective. Um, so to the extent that, that we can find what those opportunities are, and if they don't exist, um, I can 
share several that I'm aware of that um, that really do help schools and teachers work with students to connect with not only other students working on climate change issues and issues of air and water quality, um, but also connect them to their local decision makers and um, and in some cases, you know, mayors and and governors and state senators. Um, sure, so, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I I think one thing that children offer is um, an authenticity, and as you said, your son the detective. I mean, if you think about think about what goes on with recycling in New York City and in uh, other places we know, where everybody dutifully, you know, sorts their white paper into one, one can and, you know, their other stuff into another can. And then the, the city takes it away and they don't recycle it. You know what I mean? There's this yeah. Yeah. sort of scandal of what goes on with a pretense to recycling that's not in fact real um, in some places. I'm not, I'm not an expert on this, but I do know that that in my office building in Manhattan, when I worked there, you know, they just took the recycling bins and they put it together with the uh, uh, other trash. And so, you know, the users felt, you know, like they were doing the right thing, but in fact, it was all just something that has much more to do with the economics of the situation, you know, and, you know, I know that I've read in, in China, they're getting really good at recycling and figuring this out, but, but here in the United States, we, we maybe have some work to do on it. So, you know, kids can be, detectives in that sense and really could talk to legislators and say, look, you know, you know, we know you're pretending to recycle, but would you please do it? You know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, um, and likewise, I think it's helpful to understand what are the top three, four or five things that we need to do to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, because recycling is definitely not in the top five. Right. And, it's not, and I'm not saying that we should not recycle, but if we have to pick and we do, right. I mean, we can't do everything, but we, we can pick the top five things that will most expediently address climate change. So sure. that, that's, that's something else to bring into the conversation. Um, and another can't thing, you even learn something about the difficult um, decisions that need to be make, made, you know, yes. like uh, uh, solar power, is great, except that it destroys farmland, you know? Um, yeah. Wind power yeah. is great, except that it doesn't look so good on the New England coast. And so, you know, teaching children to kind of deal with these contradictions might be something good to do. And trade-offs, you know? Yeah. There, there, is, there, there will be trade-offs with all of these decisions. And one of the areas of study that is, I think, one of the probably the most fascinating to me personally in the work that we do is this um, area of systems thinking, which engages kids and we, we help teachers learn how to incorporate this in their instruction in identifying the elements in the complex system and then the feedback loops between them. And that hmm. helps get at what you're talking about, um, you know, just to see uh, for like you say, the solar panels in, let's say we have a map of your town and we place the solar panels on some existing open land. What is, what is the feedback loop from 
losing that open land to the solar panels while at the same time providing clean energy to the town. Because then you start seeing much more clearly and with real data, which is important in all of this is, you know, to understand from, from data, um, what, what the implications are of all these decisions. Um, and kids are getting smarter and smarter with understanding that kind of analysis. Um, you certainly from all of the work that they are <laughs> doing in school around algorithms and developing, um, you know, code to understand um, how how we can project into the future these different models of economies, of designing our cities, of living together, um, influences of you know popula- population increases and decreases, connecting to issues of health, connecting to uh, transportation choices. It, it's, it's really, um, it, it's really amazing <laughs> how many yeah. things are connected to it. Um, but those kind of maps, we call them systems thinking maps, um, really help bring to light. And I think ultimately can inspire some of the solutions, um, because you, you can kind of, ha- you have a better visualization of what these, choices are and what the implications look like. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one thing about grandchildren, I think, certainly the older ones, is they live in a different world in terms of communication than baby boomers like me, you know. Yeah. So just to change the topic a little bit, um, they can um they can imagine ways to use social media in a way that I can't even begin to think about, you know. So that's something that I guess grandparents can't can't help them on, but can certainly support what they want to do in terms of that. Yes. Yes. At that age, I think, you know, also sharing articles that you might read. um, That's something that they, you know, they sometimes are so focused on um, the sound bites of social media, which are obviously very short. And we our generations tend to be reading long form and, you know, articles. So there could be an article about some new Senate bill that is related to climate change that maybe your grandchild is missed if he's, he or she is in that age group where they're, you know, they are in that social media world that could inspire some action towards like we were talking earlier. Um, if, reaching out to that senator and finding out if there is a youth group that's involved in supporting, advocating for, um, and communicating through their youth channels about this legislation. Right. Yeah. But for your four-year-old, the four, the four-year-old grandchild is doing exactly what he should be doing, foraging and loving the lake. And, you know, that's, that's just awesome. That's, that's but, beautiful. But, but I do worry about, um, you know, sometimes I think he goes to, he goes to a, you know, a, a daycare uh, nursery school kind of place. And, and they talk to him about uh, species that are extinct. I find that to be kind of depressing, you know, like, yeah. frankly, when I'm watching a TV show or something, they start talking about extinct species. I turn it off because like, you know, the world's sad enough without me getting sad about extinct species, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, what do you do to, I mean, I think what you do to keep this child from just getting depressed and overwhelmed by it is pointing to a plan of action, something that can be done. You know, I mean, the leader of the world leaders are saying it's not too late to do something, you know? That's right. That's right. Yes. And, and taking action by that, you know, that behavioral shift is what can help us mentally process this in a way that's healthier and in a way that's more sustainable that isn't depressing because we are making a contribution and to remember that while it may feel you know trivial because it's you one person doing something remember Greta's message that and 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 Margaret Mead by the way is another great quote to use um that this idea of, you know, it's, it's, it's a group of people together that will make a change and it takes individuals to become part of this larger movement that's required to make this tectonic shift. Right. Katie, could you uh, remind us of the five strategies of action that we should focus on, uh, at least with ourselves and with our older grandchildren in trying to achieve the change that you're talking about? Sure. Um, first, I suggested adults become educated themselves, feel comfortable with the basic facts of climate change and feel comfortable with the basics around this concept of interconnectedness. You know, it's helpful to develop our own narrative around how things are connected. And um, that's, that's number one. Number two is get outside with your grandchild, or if you're not with them, it's easy enough to suggest to the parent, um, ways of enjoying being in nature and experiencing it from every sense if with fun, with storytelling, um, through art, scavenger hunts, using things like binoculars and magnifying glasses. Number three is connect the past to the present. Tell your own stories. What did you do when you were a kid growing up outside? How is it different? How is it the same? What were your favorite things to do? And then do those things with your grandchild. Number four is understanding and sharing your knowledge of how things are connected. I suggested a tree as an example of a way to start this conversation around how this, how a tree is connected to so many different things in, in our nature. And number five is taking action. And that we just talked about can look like a lot of different things depending on the age of, of the child. Um, but really beginning, yes, beginning at home. And then as you get older, broadening your branches and getting bigger and bolder and, joining a group. That's an excellent wrap up. I couldn't summarize our conversation today better than you have just done for us, Katie. Dorothy, do you have any other thoughts or questions for Katie? No, I think, I think um, just one thought. And that is um, when you were talking about going outside with your grandchild, one thing that I would add to that is that I, I follow this group on Facebook called nature journaling. And it's this wonderful discipline where people go outside and they ask questions about what are they seeing and why is it weird, you know, and they write it all down and they draw pictures. And some of the people, 
some of the people in this, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I love it. And some of them bring their children into it and their children do nature journaling too. And I would just recommend that as something to look into. Thank you for adding that. Yes. I, and, and we've done that with teachers as you know, to model how they can do that with their students. And you're right. It is such a wonderful practice for anybody <laughs> and everybody. You just notice things that you might not otherwise, if, if you, have a journal with you and, and you're, you know, really attentive and reflective. Right. And you ask all kinds of questions and you answer them. It's just, yes. it's an amazing discipline. It's wonderful. Thank you for adding that. That's an excellent suggestion, Dorothy. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground today on environmental literacy and conversations. And I think we all feel a little bit more comfortable in approaching this very large topic in ways that we can be really effective. I want to thank you again, our special guest, Katie Ginsburg, and all of our grandparent callers and listeners. Watch for our announcements of our next Grand Central radio show. Our podcasts are posted to iTunes, iHeart, Tune in, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Blueberry, Listen Notes, YouTube, and our secure website, GrandCentralRadio.com. Until then, please contact me, Jerry Cole, on our secure website, GrandCentralRadio.com, or contact our show's producer at info at GrandCentralRadio.com. If you have questions or suggestions for us, or any of our special guests, if you would like to participate in the recording of one or more of our future podcast episodes, or if you suggest a sponsor of our shows or website, stay well, safe, and secure, and happy grandparenting!